powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports Station. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. Now, I don't want to be mean or put anyone on blast, but you know how all of us have that one friend that you like, whose advice you can't take seriously? Because it comes from a place that's like, I have one friend who gives me advice based purely on horoscopes. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? All bad. And God love her, but like, she really believes in those horoscopes, man. And maybe they're real, but like, it, you'll be hearing it, you'll be hearing it, and then it'll be like, and you know that they're a Virgo, and you're like, okay. Like, everyone's got that friend. Do you have that friend? Horoscope? Not, I not feel like that's more of a female but who's, thing. Who's, but uh, yeah, whose who's advice is just They're just a little not weird. Not valid. So yeah, I, got I feel like Aaron Rodgers might be that friend for a lot of people. Uh, Aaron Rodgers on the Pat McAfee show uh, said this about his future. That's why I think it's going to be important um, to get through this week and then, uh, you know, to, uh, to take my, uh, you know, my isolation retreat and just to be able to contemplate all things, uh, my future and then, uh, and then make a decision that I feel like is, is best for me moving forward and in the highest interest of my happiness and then, uh, and then move forward. What's isolation retreat? We're just going into a cave. Are you not going to talk? You're not going to speak one of those things? Yeah. Is it just you in there? Ooh. And if you're just in there alone, do you know how many days you're in there? Are you taking an iPad, a book? Are we able to reach you? What? Is there it's, uh, it's four nights of uh, complete uh, darkness. What? You going to Alaska? Not Alaska. No, I've been to Alaska. That's a beautiful state. Yeah. That's a lot Are you locked in? Where is it? You're not locked in. No, you can you can leave if you if you you know you can't do it. You can just walk out the door. But it's uh, it's a darkness retreat. Wow. And I've had you know a number of friends who've done it and had some profound uh, experiences. And it's something that's been on my radar for a few years now. And I felt like it'd be awesome to do regardless of where I was leaning after this season. So it's been on the calendar for uh, months and months and months. And it's. Okay, I'm not taking away from what anyone finds satisfaction, happiness, and peace in. I just want to stress that, okay? Do what you want with your life, including Aaron Rodgers. If it's valid to you, it's valid. But just so you know, in a couple weeks, this means Aaron Rodgers is going on a darkness retreat where he's in complete darkness and isolation for four days. And upon leaving the darkness retreat, he will decide whether or not he wants to retire. (laughs) That's... That's the story I need to let you know about today. Sounds like it's some just very weird. Some herbals might be involved in that that retreat that he's going on. Like I what's his circle of friends? I want to see who Aaron Rodgers hangs out with because they have and he has a way of life that I haven't ha- I have I've never seen a high profile athlete really have. I'm trying to think back. I mean, Criminal Jabbar did some things back in the day. Bill Walton, he Bill was kind of out yeah, there. Bill Walton, but he's our he's our modern day Bill Walton. Like he does yeah. some interesting things. Whatever he does, it works for him. I mean, the guy's extremely successful. But I can imagine being in dark for for four days. Heck no! I mean, I literally look at my phone after like two minutes of not looking at my phone. <laughs> imagine being in darkness for four days. All right, anyways, that's the update on Aaron Rodgers. Had to let you guys know about that um, because if you see Aaron Rodgers trending and start making the rounds, that is why. Let's get to some of this sound from Jeff Passan. He talked about where he thinks the Mariners stand ahead of spring training this morning with Brock and Salk. First, we'll look at the AL West as a whole. Here's what Jeff said. I don't see the Rangers or Angels as big threats to the Mariners, to be honest. I think they're going to be better, but I still, I still think the Mariners are pretty clearly the second best team in the division and 
I don't think they've caught up to the Astros. You know, Astros losing Verlander, big, but they have like seven starters last year, so they can fill in the back end of the rotation just fine there. And they added Jose Abreu. And so uh, I think the, the Astros have done a nice job of keeping together a championship core. Okay, so that's him looking ahead at the AL West and where everything stands. And much of it's still the same, where it's like you got to catch up to the Astros. There's still going to be two teams that aren't really in it. And the Mariners are going to be fighting an uphill battle for the division, though certainly one of the better teams. Yeah, we knew that wasn't going to change. The Astros are the standard um, in that division. But we do feel like the Mariners are taking steps closer to them, right? I mean, it's a battle for second place right now. Mm -hmm. You go into the the season wanting to compete with the Astros for sure. That's the goal is to win the division. But at some point in baseball, it's it's determined, right? So it's like, okay, that lead is so far ahead. We're going to battle for second place. And second place in this division isn't great. I'm not saying that's your goal. But if you happen to end up there, you should be in the mix. All right. So um, there's a lot of names uh, that we want to be talking about. I'm going to go um, with continuing to look at the AL West before I get to some of these names, including Jared Kelnick. Uh, Jeff Passan was asked, hey, so we know the Astros are kind of ahead of everyone. How much has the gap been closed between Seattle and Houston? Yeah, but you also need to balance it out with the fact that I'm sorry, but the Mariners pitching is not going to be as healthy this year as it was last year Mm -hmm. because it's damn near impossible to have starters throw as many innings and as many games as they did without an injury, right? Like, as much as you want to look at the positive stuff, that happened over the last four months, which is a very reasonable thing to do. You also have to look at what could go wrong and factor that in. If you're looking at that 90-something percentile, you also better be looking at the 10th because it's probably going to end up somewhere in between. So Jerry DePoto said that he thinks the Mariners have closed the gap on the Astros. Jeff Passan is saying, yeah, you may be right, but there is no way starting pitching stays so healthy this season. And that was part of what's helping you close the gap. There's no way, he says. Well, they did last year. I'm not baking on it, though. Yeah. This is, I mean, the pitchers put so much twerk on their body and their joints and all that stuff. Things are bound to happen. I just don't like him putting that evil on us, man. Yeah, don't you put that evil I'm going to erase it and say, you know what? I'm going to pray for the starting rotation tonight. Yeah. And they're going to be healthy and healed of all the little bumps and bruises and be okay. But that's a solid point. We got extremely lucky last year with the health. Uh, Okay, so the Mariners still have a couple spots to figure out. The main one is obviously in left field. You got a lot of names without one surefire starter. In an ideal world, it goes to Jared Kelnick. Uh, Once one of your very top prospects, he just hasn't managed to meet expectation. He's kind of on his last leg here. He's got one more option, so technically not a last, last chance. Um, But he's really got to figure it out this year because unlike in previous years, um, this is a Mariners team that's trying to get to the playoffs. The expectation is to get to the playoffs. If you can't perform in left field, eventually they're going to need to make a decision to replace you. So is giving Kelnick a chance still the right thing to do? I I think, by the way, this is the right thing to do. Jared Kelnick, remember, was supposed to be like the centerpiece of this, like the centerpiece. Before Julio emerged the way that he has, Kelnick was the guy. And so to not give him the opportunity every single day to go out there, you have enough surrounding him now to buttress it. Like if he fails, if this doesn't work, you can move him and and you can feel good that you gave him the opportunity finally 
I will say that's true, Bump, that if Kelnick doesn't work out here, who knows if there were flaws with the way the Mariners did it, but you can't say they didn't give it a million shots. Oh, they're hooking them up. I mean, several chances, couple within the same season. Then they bring over AJ and Service says, look, he's over there to really protect Kelnick because um, – he doesn't do too well against, what was it, righties or lefties there, Curtis? Lefties. The lefties. Doesn't do too well against lefties. Righties, his OPS goes up to like 600 or something like that. They're protecting him and giving him opportunity and trying to set him up for success. That's what good organizations do. But at some point, you look at him and say, maybe this just isn't the right fit here. Mm-hmm. He has talent. Everyone talks about how talented he is. Maybe a different setting. But this is big for him. This is, this is huge. So I hope he goes into – Spring, ready to go, focus, and in a good place mentally, and does well. Because I never wish bad on a guy, but at some point, it's time to move on if he's not producing. Well, and there's also kind of a deadline if he's not producing where you need to figure out what you want in left field. Uh, there's still an option if Kelnick doesn't work out. It's, it, it should not be difficult to find a left fielder at some point. Uh, or, I, I mean, left field, remember, is the easiest of the outfield positions to play. So you uh, you theoretically could trade for a center fielder or you theoretically could trade for a right fielder, too. So if Kelnick doesn't work out, if Trammell doesn't work out, if all these other names you have in left field just don't work out and you need a guy who you can count on to be out there because you're trying to contend, there's always the July trade deadline. Yeah, you go out there and you make some moves. And I think that's the approach that they're taking. They're they're on the wait and see. They're on the, okay, we're going to do everything we can to support our young talent, and then we're going to wait and see how it works out. Last year they were not as as aggressive as we would like them to be at the trade deadline. Um, but it worked out for them. You make it to the playoffs, you win a series, you're moving on, you're good. So I, I think that's the MO of this team. They're, they believe in who they have. And if I'm Jared Kelnick and I'm seeing these moves that they're making, I'm, I feel and see the support, that has to put you in a, be, in a, in a better place mentally. There's, I think they're doing everything that they can, but it's a wait and see. Mm-hmm. Draft, develop, see what they do. All right. This uh, was one of the more, maybe the most interesting uh, thing from the interview to me. Jeff Passan uh, was talking about the shift and all the impact that will have. But he said that there's another rule change, recent rule change, that will have an even bigger league-wide impact. I think it's going to be at least 10 points higher. Wow. This is him talking about the impact of the pitch clock. And that 10 points higher is for batting average. It's not, it's not the shift. It's the pitch clock. Okay. I think the pitch clock is going to have an, an I think it is going to be the most important change in baseball in at least half a century. Baseball fans are going to love it and people who maybe want to be baseball fans but think games too long are going to be attracted even more to the idea of it now because I think the average game time is going to go down somewhere in the range of 15 minutes. Okay, so the pitch timer, this is from MLB's rule. I know a lot of you already know this, but let's go over it right now. There will be a 30-second timer between batters. Between pitches, there will be a 15-second timer with the bases empty and a 20-second timer with runners on base. At last check, the pitch timer um, had already reduced the average time of game in the minors by about 26 minutes. Jeff Passan, uh, during the interview, um, only part of it was included here because it's a much longer segment, said that he could see games under two hours this year, potentially. And certainly games cut down by like a good 30 minutes because of this. Um, Also, you had in the minors when they did this more steal attempts per game. Um, So 
in MLB's effort to quicken the pace of play, uh, it seems that this may have an even greater impact than anything else. I like it. I like it. I don't mind a long ball game, especially if I'm at the game enjoying it, right, taking it all in. But when I'm at home, especially when it's, what, a 7 o'clock start, I would I do not mind no. a, a two-hour game. And also, this makes me think of the conditioning of the pitchers. Like they got to be in even better shape now because they're not going to have all the time to walk around the mound, look in the crowd, fix your hat, adjust your belt, look in your glove, do all the things that they do to get themselves in rhythm. It's going to take a bit more conditioning. So especially in like those humid states like yeah. Houston and down south, um, I like it, though. The faster, the better. That's the complaint that I have or that I've heard from younger guys that the game is just too slow. The game is mm-hmm. too slow. Um, so, yeah, I'm with it. I like it. I'm, in, I'm encouraged by it. Well, and I'm, I know some pitchers might be annoyed, but there are just some pitchers like Curtis. Can you think of one? There are just some pitchers that like take forever. They have a million <laughs> yes. pickoff attempts. They take forever between pitches. And you're just like, dude, come on. The like, s- slowest uh, in terms of pitch tempo last year was Jonathan Loisega of the Yankees, who took. 25.8 seconds in between pitches. Like, what are we doing? I believe Diego Castillo has the slowest yes. of any Mariner. Um, uh, yeah, Diego Castillo's at 20.1 uh, seconds in between pitches. Uh, guys who are quickest to the mound, Logan Gilbert, uh, quickest on the Mariners at 15.2 seconds. Marco Gonzalez at 15.3 seconds. Um, there are some extra things that go along with the pitch clock change. Was there already a rule on pickoffs? Part of it is if a third pickoff attempt is made, the runner automatically advances one base if the pickoff attempt is not successful. Is that already a rule? No, that's, I, that's new this year. That's new? Yeah. Okay, so there's that. Um, there's also, uh, it's an automatic ball if you violate the timer, which you could have guessed, but. Yeah. Yeah, so violating the timer, automatic ball. Um Batters must be in. Oh, and you can't delay. You can't try to do gamesmanship and delay if you're a batter. They have to be uh, alert, um, like in the batter box and alert to the pitcher by the eight second mark, or they are charged with an automatic strike. You know who I worry about? Who? 44. That Julio? dude takes his time, boy. <laughs> Julio, you get Man. eight seconds to Julio, look ready. He sits there, he shrugs his shoulders, looks at the bat a couple of times in the crowd. I love his approach, but he's going to have to speed that thing up. Well, this is good. 360 says, I've been a baseball fan my entire life. I watched the Aqua Sox last season with the pitch clock and loved it. It's like a shot clock in baseball. God, and I'm looking at pitch tempos of pitchers, uh, bases empty. Well, bases empty oh. is what I looked at originally. Uh, some tempos with uh, with runners on base of pitchers. Kenley Jansen of the Braves, their closer, thirty one point four seconds in between pitches. That dude in like a three pitch at bat is chewing up two extra minutes off the Man. clock. Yeah, can miss me with that. Can you imagine the crowd countdown? Five, four, three, or they start counting down with like. Extra time, so like there's Ooh, actually yeah, eight there's seconds, seconds left on the clock, and yeah. we go five, and five yeah. Four. The pitcher's like, ah. oh, this is I gonna like be great. It. I hope MLB doesn't change this rule. It's one of only three rules that they made, and or rule changes that they made. I think it sounds amazing. There is a lot to it, like. Some of it is stuff that existed in some form. Some of it is new. But like, I'm reading this one, and this one I'm curious about. With runners on base, the timer resets if the pitcher attempts a pickoff. So does that mean that maybe to buy himself some time, he might just try to pick someone off? Uh, that's strategy. That's yeah. strategy. I can see that going down. I might see stuff like that. I think there's as much as 
maybe pitchers aren't going to like it. Like, there are ways that they can work it, right? Yeah. Like, if you try to pick someone off. Now, you can't obviously pick off three times and keep abusing that, which is probably why they have that three pickoff rule. But if you pick off for the third time and it doesn't get it, it's an automatic. In this case, it would be a run because bases are loaded. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, buy yourself some time. I don't know. I like the rule. I think it's interesting. Curious to talk about it later at 1 p.m. when Shannon Dreyer joins us right now. Let's get to headline rewrites. Headline rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bob and Stacy. Headline number one, LeBron James with a shot to pass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar tonight as the NBA's all-time leading scorer. He's only 36 points away, and he's facing Oklahoma City. What's the real headline? Good to know the LeBron versus Jordan debate will definitely end forever tonight. We'll never hear about it again. Last time. Wow, you guys, I'm almost going to miss it. It's it's weird how it will never, ever, ever happen again. Um, It's it's LeBron, Jordan, and Kobe. Oh, right. Sorry. Uh, Throw two four debate in there as well. But no, man, this is this is what happens when you play for a very long time, and you are the most athletic player to ever play on a basketball court. LeBron James, his IQ for basketball is one of a genius. He understands the game, understands spacing. Early in his career, he got knocked because he wouldn't take the final shot. He would make the right play. Mm. Nowadays, he's taking the shot. I mean, he's uh, he's on Mount Rushmore. Even if you don't, I, I am not a LeBron guy. I will never have a one. I, I don't wear jerseys of other people other than Kobe. Um, Why weren't you a big LeBron guy? Because growing up, it was LeBron or Kobe. Okay. And you had to choose. Yeah. And I'm from L.A., yeah. so. It's Kobe all day. Had to do it. Uh, but there's no denying LeBron is one of the greatest to ever play the game. And 10 years from now, 15 years from now, there'll be another player who's in the debate. That's just how the game goes. Respect to LeBron. It's um, It almost hurts me that he's doing it in a Laker jersey and he's beating a Laker. But it is what it is. Longevity. That's what happens. All right, next up. Headline rewrites. Headline number two. The Kraken back in action after what feels like a million years. They play the New York Islanders tonight. What's the real headline? Also potentially coming back, Maddie Beneers. That is the real headline because while we care that the Kraken are back on the ice and playing a game, this one against the Islanders, everyone's just watching and waiting to see uh, when their best player is back on the ice. And that could be today. He did return to practice yesterday. Let's go, Maddie. We we need you. Bounce back from that cheap shot. You're at top of the division. Make a run at this thing. You're playing the Islanders. I mean, it's um when you think of the Kraken, that's the first player you think about, right? He's the face of the organization. Right would you agree or would you would you say it's someone else? That's to be Maddie. It's right? gotta be. Yeah. yeah, it's Maddie. So you need you need the you need the franchise back. Come on, Benier. You know what's weird is last year I feel like for a lot of people it was Brandon Tanev. Well, I mean, because Beneers wasn't there. Well, Beneers clearly he, they had no was one. literally the face That's what I'm saying. of the organization. It's like, <laughs> for a new organization where, because there wasn't a, a deep-seated understanding of hockey for some fans, not for all fans. There's right. plenty of hockey fans here. It was like, okay, this is kind of fun at first. So, like, what's fun? What's cool? What's exciting? And it, uh, so you have a fan favorite, and it became, uh, randomly, Brandon Tana. Tana. It's that, it's that headshot mm-hmm. that got you. Was he roommates with Maddie Beneers? Uh, no. Will Borgen oh, was okay. roommates with Maddie Beneers. Uh, good sign about Beneers' availability tonight is that in practice yesterday, he was not wearing the no-contact jersey. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like how in the NFL... The QB jersey? Yeah, it, it's a red one. You don't have to do any, uh, you know, big thinking as to what the no-contact jersey represents. Uh, so, he was a full go. 
I think it's a good signing In college, it was the yellow jersey. Uh-oh. And that if you came out to practice in a yellow jersey, we were on your head. Oh, you can't be touched. <laughs> Don't touch this dude, you bumblebee. We used to be all, all Bumblebee? I, I had to wear it one time, and I told my coach, I will never wear that jersey again. Coach. Were you ashamed walking out there? Yeah, were you kind of like ducking the yellow your head? jersey, man. I'm like, I'm a <laughs> football what, what player. What was your ailment? Uh, what was it? It was uh, it was like my hip or something like that. I'm like, wow. man, take this thing off. Y'all just don't touch me, all right? But I ain't wearing that yellow. I like to imagine Bump can't just touch looking. Me if you can't catch me. Yeah, <laughs> looking at the ground, covering his face. Just they're like bumblebee. So bad. Yeah. Oh, that's really good. Headline rewrite. Headline number three: New Broncos head coach Sean Payton says Russell Wilson's quarterback coach. I know who that is. Won't be in the facility. What's the real headline? Great, because having a quarterback coach in the facility was definitely the biggest problem in Denver. So many things went wrong in Denver, and unfortunately, the quarterback coach is getting the blame because it wasn't the norm. If Russell Wilson balls out this year, he's probably doesn't have a problem with the quarterback coach being there, and Nathaniel Hackett is probably still there. Russell Wilson had so much control over this situation, and it almost seems like everything surrounding him mm-hmm. is getting the blame. Russ needs to take some accountability, but that's Sean Payton, 15, 16 years in the league. He does things a certain way. I don't think it's a direct attack on the on our guy, Jake, but I think that Payton says, that's not how I've done it, Yeah. so we're going to do it my some way. Some people have turned it into an attack, but it, it, you're right. I think it's like instead of attacking Russell directly because he doesn't feel it, they attack the things and the people around him mm-hmm. because it's like lower-hanging fruit. And there's two different uh, conversations happening. Um it is fair for Sean Payton to say, I don't want your private coach or your people, your masseuse, your photographer, your uh, whatever in the building. Um, like, I don't want that. I'm head coach. That's fine. You're head coach. You make the rules, man. And like, it doesn't sound like that's a super common practice around the NFL. And it sounds like Russell Wilson was kind of like coming in being like, it's my show. We're running it this way. And that's probably right. very off-putting to a number of people. The other conversation is whose fault it is that Denver failed. And it is, in my opinion, not that of just the quarterback coach. Let me address something real quick. Yeah. 509. Love you guys not holding heaps accountable because he's your friend. It's funny and obvious, by the way. Jake Heaps is not out there on Sundays. Jake Heaps is not making the throws, making the reads. His job is to get Russell mentally and physically prepared for a game. There are plenty of players in the NFL who have their personal coaches who go out and play like basura. They go out there and play bad. There's only so much a trainer can do. Now, was it different that Jake was out there? Yeah, it was different. But to sit here and be like, oh, you got to hold this guy accountable for his performance, that ain't true. If that's the case, then every coach in the league should be fired at some point because they coach guys up to go out there on the field and they don't play well. Is it Was it a different situation? For sure it was. But to sit there and say his personal coach is responsible for the way that he played, solely responsible, is ridiculous to me. All right. I like it, Bump. Good defense. Uh, all right. Uh, we're going to take a quick look around the NFL before we get to Shannon Dreyer. Shannon joining us, joining us at 1 to talk about Mariners ahead of spring training and some of these rule changes as well. Uh, Melvin Gordon talked about his humbling path to the Super Bowl. Plus, we got more coaching changes in the NFL that's coming your way next. Bump and Stacy.
powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios on Seattle Sports Station. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Taking a look around the NFL, I am going to start with uh, some stories from Media Row at the Super Bowl. Curtis, you've been to Media Row at the Super Bowl. It's pretty it's chaos. chaotic, right? Because it's not like when you go to press conferences. Um, Bump, have you been to Media Row? No, I haven't. I've heard it's a circus because it's there. not normal. There's not normal interviews that happen. It is all like the weirdest, most random there interviews happening. There are hundreds happening. of radio stations from across the country that just... Meet in like a giant conference center, yeah. basically. Like the size of probably the Wamu Theater. If it was ever held in Seattle, that's kind of where they would hold it. Yeah. And it's just folding table after folding table after folding table of probably like, I'd say close to about 200 radio stations all in one one big room. Hey, let's budget. Let's go next year, huh? <laughs> let's do it. So as part of uh, Media Row, Nick Sirianni, all the head coaches, uh, star players speak with reporters, and they get sometimes like really random questions. Nick Sirianni got two weird questions. Uh, one was stupid, and one was like, I get what the reporter was going at. It was just a weird question to ask. Uh, the first, Nick Sirianni was asked who on the Eagles he wouldn't let his daughter date. Oh. He responded, my daughter is five. <laughs> now, what the Good reporter save. is getting yeah. at is yeah. who on your roster is uh, someone who's just like, yeah, exactly, is like a dirty, just like messed up dude. And uh, I think you can ask that question without saying, who wouldn't you let your daughter date? I'll tell you one thing. I've been in the NFL locker room, bunch of hound dogs in that thing. Oh, I don't doubt it. Do you guys remember the video? Maybe don't use daughter as an example. But you yeah, know what I mean? You can uh-huh. use a different example. Do you guys remember the video a couple of years ago? Uh, it was yes. the Vikings where yes. they asked him, who would you not More want your sister to date? Yeah. And everybody That's said Stephon Diggs. And Stephon Diggs is like, what? what nice I'm a guy. nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> that part is he's so shocked when yeah. he finds out and kind of like hurt. But I'm a nice guy. That's <laughs> oh, amazing. Uh, the other question he was asked, this one's my personal favorite. Is this a must-win game? What? He paused a beat and said, "Yes." <laughs> what do you? Th- it's a Super Bowl. Of course, it's a must-win game. You made it game. this far. It's just extra credit no, after this. I'm guaranteed next year we'll be here. No, it's so hard to get there. Of course, what kind of question? We, send us to Media Row, please. Oh, is that what it's called? Radio Row, Media Row. Radio, oh, it is Radio Row. I've been. There's two different things. Right. Last night was Media Night, which I'm combining the yeah. two. So. Both are chaotic. Yeah. I prefer Radio Row over Media Night because there's just no order at all mm-hmm. during that. It's just clusters of people on, I think it was, was this held at like Chase Field last night where the Diamondbacks play? Yeah. So it's like, it's just clusters everywhere on the field. It, yeah, I don't like it. Who was like the most famous person that you, because you went there with Clayton. I did, yeah. Who was the most famous person you guys talked to ever? Or, the, or just a person where you were like, wow, that's random that he's here. Roman Reigns, the wrestler, he was, he was there. Uh, <laughs> Christy Brinkley's daughter was there. What? Sailor Brinkley, I think <laughs> is her name. Yeah. That was, uh, you know Marlins Man, the uh, the guy who sits in the front row of like every big oh, yeah. sporting event? He was he there? He was there, yeah. Man. Um, what a life. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Very strange. We got some uh, new coaching moves. So... There's a couple things you need to know. Uh, first is that interim head coach for the Carolina Panthers, who then didn't become head coach for the Carolina Panthers because Frank Reich became head coach. Steve Wilkes went on to become the 49ers' new defensive coordinator because the 49ers' previous defensive coordinator, uh, D'Amico Ryans, went to become head coach of the Texans. Meanwhile, um, Brian Flores became defensive coordinator for the Vikings. 
which means Brian Flores now out of the running for head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, which is a role down to two people. Uh, is it Frank? Uh, God, what was his name? Kafka? Kafka. Mike, Mike, Mike Kafka. Kafka. Mike Kafka and uh, Lou, Lou Anarumo, yeah, who's the defensive Bengals. coordinator for the Bengals. Did a great job this year, by the way. That's all the weird moves you have going on. Uh, let's stick with Wilkes, though, his new D.C. He's going to be uh, overseeing a defense we're going to see two times a year. What do you think? My, my question is, does Shanahan help sign this dude in Lynch and tell him, run it back? Just do what we did last year. Same terminology, same scheme, or do they allow him to come in and do his own thing? My opinion, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You come in, you learn their terminology, you learn their scheme, and then you start adding wrinkles of your own. But the 49ers defense is almost a sure thing. I wouldn't mess with that. Yeah, that's interesting. Because you you get the feeling, especially as someone who has been a head coach before, right, and has, has been a coordinator, like by then... Because Wilkes is older. He's like, I have my way of doing things. But it would be like weirdly humbling. But also, I wonder if part of you as a head coach respects what works. Like you look at it and you think, hey, I like this. Why why switch it up? Uh, An interesting thing I remember about media night Mm -hmm. that we didn't get to is it was the Chiefs' first Super Bowl. And I was standing next to Chad Henney, who Uh is the backup quarterback for the Chiefs. And back then, he was still an old guy in the league. And I was like, oh, is Chad Henning on the chief staff now? That's really cool. I wonder if he's like an assistant oh, coach. And man. then I look at my roster and he's a backup quarterback. I'm like, whoa. Do you remember when Austin Davis was the backup quarterback here in Seattle? Yeah. yeah. There was a point where, so uh, NASA does, uh, well, he does a ton of stuff. He's with communications and um, public executive relations. Producer, executive producer. Executive producer for a Seahawks pregame show. He does a ton of stuff anyways. Uh, he was in the locker room and I was in the locker room next to him and it was locker room clean out day. This was uh, several years ago. And we were standing next to each other, and I was waiting for people to clear out of the way because they were interviewing Russell Wilson, okay? And all of a sudden, there's this other guy that walks up and stands next to us, and I thought he was, like, one of the PR interns or, like, a PR guy. (laughs) So we were just, like, talking to him and, like, talking for, like, five minutes, and then he goes, I'm just waiting to get to my locker. (laughs) It was Austin Davis (laughs) waiting to get to his locker because he couldn't because there were too many reporters in the way. And it was just a very nonchalant chill. I would have got through there. Excuse me, guys. Cool guy. Cool guy. Okay. Uh, Next up, Melvin Gordon had an interview about his path this year. Very, very interesting. So he was the Broncos starter, as you guys know, then was demoted, ended up on the practice squad, then was released in November. Now he is with the Chiefs, a team that he signed with uh, in uh, week 13. He started on their practice squad and then now uh, moved up and uh, has been activated from IR. Uh, He will not be playing on Sunday, but he will be getting a Super Bowl ring if the Chiefs win. What a weird path to go from I'm a starter to I'm on a practice squad to now I'm with a Super Bowl team and I'm not playing, but I could still, I'm still experiencing it. It's just a weird road. Melvin Gordon called it um, very expletive humbling. Excuse my French, he said. He was Offensive Player of the Year one year, I want to say, with the Los Angeles Rams. But that's the position. He had knee injuries. He plays running back, one of the toughest positions to play in the game. But, yeah, imagine getting a game check. Mm-hmm. His game checks were probably like 200 k a game. And then you get bumped down a practice squad. You're not traveling. You are pretending to be someone on the opposing team every week. And your check is cut down to like ten to $12,000. I know a lot, of, a lot of money for us common folk. But that's still but a big... That and makes no one you, likes to be demoted. It makes you question yourself, honestly. Yeah. It makes you question if you're good enough, if you want to be here, if you can be here. So... 
my advice to Melvin, if you take advice from a guy who only played a couple years, is hang in there, champ. Keep doing what you got to do because guys get hurt, guys get banged up, and you might get another shot. Yeah, hey, at the end of the day, you could walk away with a Super Bowl ring, and it's not as satisfying maybe because you won't have been playing, but it's still a cool experience. And uh, I almost think it kind of makes us all better people when you go through kind of like a low point. Mm -hmm. Like if you can think of a low point in your career where all of a sudden you were like, Wow, I, everyone's had this thought. What if I'm not as good as I think? I genuinely think sometimes it makes you a better person. Yeah, it does for some people. Sometimes it uh, yeah. just doesn't work out. Uh, all right, DK Metcalf making ESPN the other day, by the way, for his houses. Um, he obviously signed a giant $72 million extension in the offseason. He now has two houses worth $6.8 million, one in L.A., one in Mississippi, where he's from. Um now, I will tell you, I am wondering if he has uh, 12 bathrooms. It doesn't appear that he does. It doesn't appear he's copying Russell Wilson here. Very normal number of bathroom to bedroom uh, ratio here. Let's talk about DK Metcalf, though, uh, for the Seahawks in 2023. Here's my question, Bob. If you do not have Geno here, is it wasting DK or does it not matter? You can still take advantage of him. I know that's a loaded question. You can take advantage of him, but not as much as you would be capable with Geno, a guy who has developed some chemistry with him, who knows his body language. And that's huge. I think people, you got to think about it. A quarterback understands a guy's body language. And when I say body language, it goes when he's at 10 yards, when he puts that indicator in the ground, that left foot that snaps him to the right. There are things that quarterbacks pick up on to know, okay, he's ready for the football. He's about to get in and out of his break. That stuff is huge. I think you can always take advantage of a dude who's 6'3 and runs a 4'3". But it's different when you have chemistry with the quarterback. Mm -hmm. uh, all right. That was our quick look around the NFL. Uh, we're going to have plenty of stuff as we get closer to the Super Bowl. Plenty of injury updates when we jump into NFL headlines on, you know, like Friday and stuff ahead of the Super Bowl. Um, this is just a quick look at some fun stories from Radio Row and some coaching moves around the league. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Shannon Dreyer is going to join us at one. We have a lot to talk about with Shannon when it comes to this Mariners team ahead of spring training. A lot to find out about this team. Before we do that, though, the Seahawks know they need to improve their defense. They have a lot of draft picks to get it done. But what if part of the Seahawks fix on defense is already on the roster. That's next. Bumpin' Stacy. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports Station. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. You know, I can't tell if it's foolish of me to think the Seahawks can fix quickly their defense when it comes to drafting because we've seen a lot of draft classes not have that return. It's just so hard, Bump, because I look around the rest of the league and I see so many great defensive players making hugely impactful plays for their teams that are somewhat recent draft picks, right, right? within the last four or five years. And I think, God, Seattle has a chance to do that at five. I know they have free agency. Maybe it's foolish to think the fix will come in the draft, but... We were talking during the break that maybe part of the solution's already on the roster. Like, they aren't starting from scratch here, right? They they need a lot of fixes. It's not like they're a piece or two away. Yeah. But they aren't 11 pieces away. No, they're not. It takes 11 guys on a football field executing at one time to have a great defense. But they got some guys who they're counting on to develop. You got DT, who had nine sacks last year. Boom. Tremendous step forward. I think they understand who he is and how to use him now. You acquired Chenin Owosu. He has nine sacks. Boye Mafe, I want to say, was like fourth in the NFL when it comes to rookies having sacks. Not a lot. Only three. Um, Aiden Hutchinson had the most. But he's going to develop as well. And not a regular starter. So he had limited chances. And not a regular starter. 
Um, and then in the secondary, you found Kobe Bryant and Tariq Woolen. You have your nickel. Kobe Bryant's going to be your nickel. He's going to do nothing but get better, I believe, in a young man. Then you have Tariq Woolen. Now, if Jordan Brooks was healthy, then the need for a linebacker, there's still a need there, but it wouldn't be as urgent as it is right now. you got to go out and draft a linebacker, or you go out and you acquire one um, during the offseason and free agency. But it's all about that interior defensive line and maybe even an edge rusher. You're good at safety. You got Quandre, you have Ryan Neal. If Jamal Adams were not to come back next year, which I think he's going to come back, if he were not to come back next year, I'm rolling with Quandre and Ryan Neal, and I feel good about that situation. At the corners, you got Tariq Woolen. He'll be the corner for the next four or five years mm-hmm. in this organization, minimum. And then you have Mike Jackson and Trey Brown. I could see them drafting a corner late, sure. possibly, um, because Mike Jackson didn't have the turnovers that you would like over there. Only one interception, his first career interception this year. We still haven't seen what Trey Brown can do. I just named six or seven pieces right now that are going to contribute who have room to grow. But you got to go draft a D-line, a D-lineman, or acquire one um, during free agency, and you got to address that second level. They have a lot of work to do. You Mm -hmm. need some depth pieces. You're going to sign guys that no one really knows. Maybe Miles Adams comes back and he hits. You never know. But you aren't starting from scratch. You're not starting from ground zero. There are guys there who will be on this team for the next three years that can develop. And be growing, right? Like, uh, you mentioned Daryl Taylor is a perfect example of someone who's going to be learning and growing every single year because he is a young player. And, you know, if he doesn't ever become one of the uh, top outside linebackers in the league, okay, can you get him to get you nine or ten sacks every year? Because that's difference making, uh, especially if you can get a couple guys. If you get a couple guys with double digit sacks, all of a sudden you're the Eagles, <laughs> yeah. right? That had 70 sacks this year. Or Kansas City that had 55, second in the league in sacks. The two teams meeting each other in the Super Bowl don't think that's altogether a coincidence. They are loaded with talent offensively and defensively. Kind of a wild card in this one when it comes to improvements that are already on the team. How about Clint Hurt, second year as defensive coordinator? Mm-hmm. What has he learned over the course of a year? Because it's not just about learning the game, learning who you are as a coordinator learning what you like, uh, learning how to take over that role. It's also learning your players, right? Looking at guys. I mean, you've been a coach, not specifically a defensive coordinator, but I would imagine from the first to the second year, from the second year to the third, from the third to the fourth, there are things that you learn that make your team better, that have a tangible effect on your team. Yeah, for sure. Before I address Clint Hurt, let me tell you guys, too, that the Hawks were top 10 when it comes to sacks this year with 45. There's a big gap between number one and where these guys are at. Mm-hmm. But they're at 45. They're ahead of the curve right now when it comes to the rest of the league. So now let's talk about Clint Hurt. When I hear people say, Clint Hurt's not the guy. Get him out of here. He doesn't know what he's doing. It sounds You sound ridiculous to me. And you sound ridiculous because you're not giving him a chance like we give athletes chance, chances, player chances, to observe and to correct and to coach up. Now he has a draft to where he has all this data from what happened during the regular season and say, well, this guy can't do that. I can move this guy here. We found something in DT. Uchenna's there. Now he has all this data and a year's worth of film to break down. We talk about Aaron Rodgers going into a dark room for four days. Clint Hurt been in that dark room watching film. (laughs) He's been in that room trying to figure out how do I get the most out of these players and what type of players do I need? That's why when coaches go one and done, unless you were just, (laughs) it's a debacle, like a, a town that we no longer hate on or I no longer hate on, I, I don't think it's fair for guys. Like You have to give them a chance to adjust and to learn, especially if they're young, first-time coaches. This is Clint Hurst's first time being a defensive coordinator. Now he knows what he needs. 
after this year, if there isn't some improvement, all right, then the chatter beefs up a little bit. After the third year, if there's no improvement, then you're on the hot yeah. seat. It takes time for you to make a defense exactly what you want it to be. Well, and let's be real, right? Like, he is not playing with the same weapons, the same tools, as are some other defensive coordinators. That's not to say that D'Amico Ryans isn't an amazing player. He was an amazing defensive player, clearly understands defense, and was an amazing coordinator with San Francisco. Mm-hmm. However, he's got different weapons he's working with. I don't look at the defense that the Seahawks had, and I know I started this segment by saying they aren't 11 pieces away. We both truly believe that, right. but they are several. It's not just add, add Cliff Averill and you're good. It's You need a couple things. There are some pieces here, but there was no first-team All-Pro. There was no, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there wasn't, um, you know, one perfect unit for him to have and be like, okay, if I can make other stuff work. Like, for the longest time, it was like, linebacker set. Yeah, like, whoever the third it. linebacker is, eh, it doesn't really matter. Who's your fast guy? Michael Kendricks, get him in there. It didn't matter because you had K.J. Wright and Bobby Wagner. Mm-hmm. That position group was set year in and year out. It wasn't changing. And that wasn't the case at any level of the defense. Right. Let's let's look at the four teams that represented the conference in the championship games. There's something they all have in common. They have pro bowlers in that box, in the box, D-line, offensive line, linebackers. They have pro bowlers in that box. That's what this team is missing right now. They're missing some hogs in the box. It's easier said than done. You're not going to go out there and guarantee to hit in the draft, to guarantee to hit in free agent acquisitions, but at least you know where you need to improve. At least you have an idea. And going back to Clint, that's what makes me optimistic about it because he knows. He goes, man, I don't have anybody in that box that's really going to get it done for me consistently at a Pro Bowl type level. It's a copycat league. You look at the rest of these teams. You got Philly with four guys with 10 sacks. You have Kansas City with Chris Jones, who could be Defensive Player of the Year. He doesn't think he's going to get it. He's probably not going to get it. And then you go over to San Francisco where you have Armstead, you have Nick Bosa. Mm -hmm. Guys are pro bowlers. You control the line of scrimmage. You give yourself a chance. The back end is good. Maybe a corner um, or two when it comes to the Seattle Seahawks. But numbers-wise, they're far off, right? You can't stop the run. You were bad against the pass at times. Personnel-wise, there are some spots that are locked down for the next few years. So um, that's why this draft is big. Are they going to hit like they did last year? Probably not. What did we say the number was? Three? You get, you get Yeah, that, that would be good. Three like, that contributors. Would be a great draft. Yeah. Get three contributors? Psh, man, you're good. All right. Switching gears here. Talking Mariners. Some pre-spring training talk with Shannon Dreyer. She joins us next.